Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Pull up a pew and have a brew, everyone. Step into the chapel of no small roles with us, your super fans, for another super fan chat. I am super fan Jeremy Cobb, uh, and I am joined for this incredible chat time by uh, super fan Sam. Hello, everyone. And Superfan Pip. Yes, and we are going to be here to discuss episodes 61, 62, and 63 of No Small Roles. So if you haven't listened to those, then probably don't listen to this because there's going to be tons of spoilers. We're just going to tell you everything that happens in the episodes and then what we think about it. So And we'll feel no shame about it. Yeah. That, yeah none I'm, at all. <laughs> none at all. <laughs> You've been told to leave. If you stay, it's on you. You have been warned. Um, and actually, should we should we hop right on in? Let's do should it. Should we just swing swing heroically? Yeah, I think so. Okay. People want to hear what we got to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this is your last chance. Uh, turn back if you haven't. Go listen to those episodes and then come back to this. And if you have listened to those episodes, stay comfortable, baby. And you know, if you if you like listen to them this way round, uh, that's what does it for you. Then fine, uh, it's not what oh, I would yeah, do. But true. yeah, probably go listen to them first. <laughs> it occurred to me that that was a legitimate way of enjoying the material. <laughs> someone could be like, "It's a choice." I like to hear someone tell me what happens, and then I go listen to it. Yeah, like if you suffer from anxiety, maybe that's the way you want to do it. So you're yeah. not surprised or shocked or terrified. <laughs> uh, true. I do have a friend who, whenever she watches something that's suspenseful, uh, she will go and look up the material to see if a person lives or dies. Oh, okay. <laughs> Because apparently, like, the anxiety hits her so hard that she actually can't enjoy the thing if she knows that they, if they're going to die at the oh, end. Oh, bless her. Talk about emotional investment. I love it. Normally, when I watch a horror film, like, the acting's so bad, please die. <laughs> <laughs> uh Absolutely brutal. But you know what acting isn't bad? The acting in episode 61 of No Small Roles. In oh fact, God, consistently, yeah. yes. uh, the acting is great. And this episode is no different. In this particular episode, uh, I think the first extended sequence that happens, because of course, when they arrive back, uh, they find out that, oh, we have a visitor. But, but the first mm. extended sequence in this episode is Gwendolyn finally calling her father over Sending Stone. Oh. Uh, he's, of course, very pleased to hear from her. Uh, and she also has to speak to her sister, her older sister. I mean, that first of all, that interaction was phenomenal, especially yep. I love oh. finding out that the, the message that she sent back filled the entire room. Oh, my God. Uh, and the room above as yes. well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then also hearing some of the sibling, uh, I don't know if sibling rivalry is the correct term, but the sibling squabbling back and forth like, oh, why didn't you take these things with you? Uh, the was, bickering. Oh, it was perfection. Yeah. David did such a good job of that, you know. Yeah. And, and obviously Grace. Absolutely. I really enjoy when David has to play younger female roles. Mm hmm. You know, we've had Myra and now we have Prim as well. It's just absolutely joyous. He's so good at it. He should, they, the party should add a permanent younger woman uh, because David is so good at playing <laughs> like yep. young women that it's just, it's, yeah, it's beautiful. Uh, and the other big revelation in this scene is that uh, the name Cahilda was actually mm -hmm. given to Gwen by her mother, but that, that name was supposed to be a secret. Yep. Whoops. <laughs> yeah. How did we settle on that? I forget how we settled on the name Cahilda to begin with. It was a name from the Wingthrop workshop. 
And when they first entered the workshop, Erida appeared and listed all the names that all the characters could have been known by, by any other person, all the things they had on mm-hmm. record. This is where we found out about Volus Hemlock for Orin mm. and Geist's real name as well at that point. And for Gwen, we had Carhilda, and although I think she suspected it was something to do with her mother, yeah, I think she didn't know. And then when they were trying to think of better names for her, um, she was going to be called uh, something Thorn at one point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, I just love that they like it, it's taken them this long to get used to the whole Carhilda thing. They'd always been like a Gwen, I mean a Carhilda, yeah, and they've literally just got to the point where they start like settled on calling her Carhilda, and now to be told that it's possibly more dangerous than the name she was trying to get yep. rid of before <laughs> yep um but yeah she's delhi now yep she's delhi yeah i like delhi suits her i like delhi yeah it's a cute name um also was this the first time that we saw gwendolyn's father in series or am i forgetting an instance i think they got a message back we've had we've had letters or messages haven't they but as a as a kind right. of direct yeah. real-time conversation right. i yeah. think you're right yeah that's what I meant, yeah, because I don't think I, – I know that we've heard from him, but I don't think we've ever actually had a full-on convo with him and her sister, yeah. no less. And they seem like such lovely people. They, they actually – yeah. That, that's one of the heartwarming things I got about this scene was like I think Grace went in there or, or Gwendolyn really went in there thinking they're going to be against this. I'm going to have to fight my cause mm-hmm. and show why you know I'm, I'm allowed to be independent. And they actually, it almost seemed like they were trying to track her down because they were worried or didn't know what happened to her and thought she needed to come back. But as soon as they heard that actually, even Prim in this respect was like, well, you know, if you'd asked me if you could have had one of these stones to to contact us, I would have given it to you. uh, And I wouldn't have given you such a hard time with the debarges. And really, it was just kind of like... All Gwendolyn had to do was say sorry. Yeah. And they're like, oh, you you go have your own life, uh, which I just thought was really cute. Yeah. Lovely supportive family back home. It also threw Gwendolyn's behavior into a different light because it, it up until now it has seemed like maybe she was escaping these somewhat oppressive, if somewhat well-meaning circumstances. Mm. And, you know, she's going out, striking out on her own, escaping the p- potential oppression of her family. But no, her, her parents are her mom or excuse me, her father and, and sister are actually like nice, well-meaning people people mm. uh and she just kind of ditched them and it's kind of <laughs> kind of unfair to them actually yeah <laughs> although they do hint prim prim does say that she thought that colin debarge was effectively a piece of turd mm-hmm. like you know she does kind of insinuate like oh yeah i think she says at one point they're even worse than is it the delavos that they yes. mentioned mm-hmm. yeah. says they're even worse than the debarges so yeah. it's kind of known that gwendolyn was going to be put in this terrible situation but that that marrying her off was like the only hope for her at this point or something, her kind of like contribution to the family. Mm. Yeah, a bit of a weird situation. Wasn't uh, wasn't her dad, isn't her dad in somewhat dire financial straits of late or am I completely getting mixed up? I, in my head, I had this memory of him being like rich, but then having lost a bunch of money recently. Ooh. And so I think I had assumed that the marriage was like him trying to be like, look, you're marrying into another rich family and this will help all of us. But this could have just been a narrative that I concocted in my head. I mean, maybe he does want the dowry. Uh, that that could make a lot of sense. I I don't know where specifically that would have been. I, I'm trying to wrap my brain whether I have heard that. I wonder whether when they were describing her family, she said it was... like a well-to-do family but when they were comparing them to the Vondells I think there was kind of discrepancy in the levels of wealth between them yeah maybe I don't have any more specifics than that it's been a little while since I've listened to those yeah I will check but not now yeah I'll have to (laughs) Grace let us know yeah (laughs) how did I (laughs) how did I get this bizarre uh fanon in my (laughs) Ed, that Gwendolyn's from a rich family that's fallen on hard times. Um, I mean, maybe you're just super intuitive and that is actually the case because we know he's been working with the Arcanists a little bit, you know, and the mm. the Delavos. You know, that, that does come up later in this. True, true, true. I wonder whether it's the, the difference between having like the Vondells who were sort of a wealthy family who were just wealthy because, you know, they were the, the family sort of at the head of, of Tillisham. Whereas Gwen's family were wealthy because they'd built their wealth, but therefore they have to maintain that standard of wealth. Maybe that's the yeah. the difference. Yeah. They're new money rather than old money. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And ma- maybe like the debarges are similarly older money. So they're like, if we marry yeah. another wealthy family that gives us legitimacy. Yes. It, it, I do find it a bit interesting, though, that, you know, he has worked with these different contacts, particularly when they, they know that they are a bit dodge. Um, 
you know, it does kind of, you know, the Vondels turned out to be very dodgy. The Delavos are told to be quite dodgy. The Arcanists are dodgy in their own right. Mm-hmm. So it is kind of, he's not exactly picking and choosing good clients. He's just going where the, the money is, which I think is, mm-hmm. yeah, is kind of interesting. You might be onto something there, Jeremy. Hmm. I'll message Grace after this. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that's not all that happens this episode. Mm. Uh, we then have an extended uh, conversation, which is really the bulk of the episode, with Arcanist Zaravir Tarek. She back, mm. y'all. She back. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, after a very unpleasant encounter, uh, she has reappeared <laughs> and uh, is here to, I guess, debrief, decompress, uh, and explain a little bit of what's been going on for her. Uh, so after she had met with the Abraka lads in Tillersham, she'd been sent to investigate uh, the Henge. Mm-hmm. Um, she uh, set up an outpost for the Arcanist Consortium to, uh, to planning to do more research, but she was mysteriously replaced by, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I have written down Archmagus Garanius. Is That's that right. the correct yes. pronunciation? Yeah. Petra Petra Granius, I think is the yep. name, yeah. Okay. Who is one of the high circle, I believe. Yes. Yes. Yep. Uh, and she had her research taken away, uh, which, again, was a, there was a lot of, which is, you know, it's okay, uh, in this explanation when she was telling the story. So it's a lot of like, hmm, yes, it's normal, but mm, is it really okay? Uh, mm-hmm. She was reassigned to create a huge zone of truth around Rust Hall uh, after the faceless footman incident, uh, which I love. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and while she was there, she met uh, Arcanist Klein Yovet. Uh, yep. Did I mm-hmm. pronounce that correctly? Uh, and uh, another another familiar face. And they compared notes about the Abraka lads. <laughs> yeah. uh, as it turns out, they our our uh, favorite our favorite heroes have attracted a fair amount of attention. But much of that attention has been redacted from the reports. Yeah. Uh, both Eovit and uh, Tarek had had their reports redacted in regards to any mention of the Abraka lads. Very mysterious. And of course, and notably uh, the Henge as well. They do yes. mention that the Henge has mm. been redacted. Yes, interestingly, mm. which means that I believe the story that is now being told about what happened uh, um, in Tillersham is more accurate. Because uh, wasn't it that mm. the that Zeravir Tarek and the, uh, the Arcanists had wanted to foist the blame onto the Witch uh, of the Jizana? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, Ruana. Oh, Ruana. Yeah, sorry, Ruana. Yeah, yeah. And so they had also took over. Uh, they had taken over the, or excuse me, rather the Arcanists who took over the Henge project. Uh, I'd already said were connected to uh, Archmagus uh, Garanius, but Archmagus Garanius was also the same person who apparently had Pelligree delivered uh, mm-hmm. to their estate rather than him being yeah. taken to the normal uh, the normal holding cells. Yeah. So a lot of suspicious, underhanded skullduggery going on here. Mm-hmm. And throughout this entire conversation, early on, we have, like very early on at the beginning of the conversation, Enkidu gets his mind probed. <laughs> uh and then Juna gets her mind probed later in the conversation uh, when they're talking about henges and so forth. And uh, turns out, turns out the entire time that it was not Arcanist Zaravir Tarek as they had thought. Uh, she was telling the truth. She wasn't probing anyone's mind. Instead, it was Arcanist Klein Yovet who was there in the corner. It's just the invisible dude in the corner. Yes. Yeah, just watching Rowana attacking. Uh, Juna. Yeah. From afar. (laughs) (laughs) What a ruse. (laughs) It was a solid try. Yes. It was. I appreciate the effort. Uh, and yes, apparently they had actually, this entire interaction was essentially a scouting mission to see if the Abraka lads were trustworthy enough to go on a mission for the Arcanists to sneak into Archmagus Garanius's estate while she was away, uh, cause she was going to be gone. And, uh, Archmagus, uh, Jovet would also be distracting Axissa Wingthrup during that time, talking to her about the Children of Havoc. So this gives him an open 
opening. Yep. They can get in there. <laughs> yep. And the, yes, and the arcanists just so happen to leave behind some edible orbs that will protect them from divination magic and make them invisible. And there's six of each. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a very, a very pivotal uh, conversation. So much like... I, I really, I, I just really like the way that conversation played out. But before uh, we talk about that, uh, they did go back to Feather's Pillow. It took them two and a half hours to walk there. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. After the longest day ever. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh! How many episodes was this? Was this it like a played over three or four? Because it goes back to before. It was the Russell episode, Isn't it before- wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's when the day started. Yeah. And a lot of events, yeah. a lot of big <laughs> events. Uh, but uh, they ma- finally made it back. Orm got a consortium application because, you know, he's thinking about uh, making some more connections, making a little application. And Juna that night decides to resummon Ruana. Mm-hmm. And that was where we left off. Yes, because she kind of got burnt up a little bit by uh, Zara Tarek. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which was nice of her. Um, also, uh, I just wanted to say, I really, really liked the way that David played that entire conversation. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it was really cool. Uh, every time the arcanists show up, they seem extremely competent. Yes. And like hyper competent to a degree that almost no one else is. Yes. And that brings, that pull, like raises kind of the intimidation factor and the fact that like, it gives, it makes the idea of them First of all, pulling off this plan where there's two of them in the room, one who's invisible and reading their minds. Yeah. But also the fact mm-hmm. that they are now wanting to work with the party a little bit makes it feel all the more special. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And exciting. But it also, it shows the divide between the styles of the Arcanists themselves. Because like I noticed this earlier on with Clay Yvette and with Zeravir Tarek when they met the first time. Mm-hmm. In, and they talk about in this one, the way that they talk in circles and they talk around a point to get you to come to the thing for plausible deniability, right? Whereas we've seen from like Accessor Wingthrop, uh, another Arcanist, mm-hmm. you just get, it's like brutal and bloody. You just get in there efficient, you get the job done and yeah. out. Like, you know, the whole like cutting off the hands and oh my God. Um, all of that stuff, you know, there's two very different styles where they're, you know, one is much more like taking the intelligent approach and one is just shut this down now. Um, yeah. I kind of mm-hmm. wonder how that's going to all play out later, whether there will be some kind of like conflict where the arcanists themselves all have to pick a side. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm quite excited for that. Talking of picking sides... Now that we've had more kind of conversation with Zeravir and we've seen where Zeravir and Irovet are coming from, and we've obviously had the mission from Heron, where do you think your loyalties, I guess, or yeah, where do your loyalties lie, I guess, if you were part of the party? Hmm. How much are you now trusting what Heron has told us as a scholar? Hmm. Could the scholar be redacting things if they've got access to all the paperwork? That's true. Or do we, do we still trust Heron and we're suspicious of Zeravir? I don't know that I do trust Heron. Mm -hmm. I like him, but there's enough grey area within him and... uh, No, I forget the name now. Aussie boy. Kierda. Kierda Tagadan, yeah. There's enough grey area with them. Mm -hmm. And I think there's enough grey area with the Arcanists as a whole. Like, they demand a lot of answers, but they give very little. Um, They did, to be fair, they did say something they didn't need to in this one, which was they mentioned that Pellegrini had picked up the item that he picked up was a key. Yes, Yes, the Henge Henge key. key. I forgot to mention that. Which is information they didn't need to give the party. Yes. um, So that they've actually given them like a little little plus that they wouldn't have found anywhere else at that point. Um, And then he purchased it, no less. He didn't just have it. He didn't make it. He purchased a Henge key. And I just worry that the Arcanists kind of... It's almost like they're seeing which way the wind is blowing, which puts me at a state of unease for Mm -hmm. the party to be able to choose. Because I think the party know what they want to get out of this situation. You know, they want the right person on the throne. Uh, They want to make sure that there aren't any evil machinations going on behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. So they've already chosen their course of action. Yeah. And I kind of feel like all these different arcanists are waiting to see what happens, which Mm -hmm. side to back. So yeah, mm. I don't I don't know that I really can trust them. If anything, uh the one that I trust most because they've got a definite plan, uh and where I would probably ally myself would be Erida at this point. Interesting. <laughs> at, least, okay. at least she knows what she wants. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's that Hamilton thing of trusting Jefferson because he's got a plan and <laughs> <laughs> spoilers. Uh I think for me, 
it's it's almost impossible to tell because there is so much secrecy. As you were just saying, Sam, nobody mm. is nobody is forthcoming. And not only that, but I don't even know, like, it's not just what do all they, they all want. I don't know what to think about what they might want because mm-hmm. we still don't know what the whole situation with the possible heir is and the rightful heir. Like, there's yeah. still a lot of mystery surrounding that. Uh, it's very difficult to know. It's almost like you have to pick the side that is the most friendly to you at any given point mm-hmm. because you have no idea who's actually on your side. Uh, is yeah, it's there's so much secrecy. I mean, even even in time and Prevost, you know, he does seem a bit flippant about certain things. And again, you know, it's like, yeah, he's possibly the better option out there, but is he the right option? Yeah, I'm not sure at this point. <laughs> it's a weird one where I feel like the party can only really have trust and loyalty in each other at this point, um, and continue with their own plan and then see what fits with them, rather than putting full faith into one particular faction and hoping that works out for them and that their goals align. Uh, Because I don't think they're going to find the exact support that they need. But the kind of characters that David makes up, they're not going to find one person that is completely Mm -hmm. on the same track as them. They're going to have to make a choice further down the line of who they they screw over minorly to, you know, bolster another one. Yeah. Yeah. It does make you wonder whether Heron Heron will know that they've been in contact with Zeravir because I don't think he trusted Zeravir at the time. That was why he appeared to them after their initial conversation in Telesham. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I wonder whether he's going to feel like their loyalties have shifted and it's going to either you know come after them or something else is going to happen with the mission that he's set them. And mm. now they've got a mission from Zeravir as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how much of this plays out. Yeah, all of a sudden... Uh, Heron Irwin just like steps through the way homeward door and is like, Oi! Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Give me back my gold. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to see. Uh, I like the idea of Orem joining the consortium in part because I think he'd have access to way more power, perhaps. Yeah. It might just yeah. become a more effective operator. But I also like the idea that he might finally get be privy to some of this information. Yeah, it would be useful, wouldn't it? Yeah. 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 Be good to have somebody on the inside yeah. that can actually tell the party what they need to know mm-hmm. and can have a side. Yeah. Yes. They, um, the consortium reminds me a lot of VFD from a series of unfortunate events. If either of you yes, are familiar with that series. Yes, 100%. Like the level 100%. of secrecy. Yeah. And then like how hyper competent some of the operatives are, but they still never tell you exactly what's going yeah. on. You'll just hear the same phrases referred to like the schism or like things like that. And you're like, well, so what actually happened? And it's like, you know, it's too sad to go into right now. We have the other thing. That information <laughs> is, yeah, that information is restricted to uh, yeah, exactly. higher ranking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. So I, I want my guy on the inside. I want my guy on the inside so we can get all these facts. And then Orin is killed by Count Olaf. Sorry, carry on. <laughs> <laughs> Talking of facts, shall I move us on to episode 62? Yeah, yeah go for it. Yeah. So episode 62 was the hall in the hive. The first kind of notable interesting thing that happened was we had Inkudu slipping out the window during the night mm-hmm. to use criminal contact and trying to find out a bit more information about the hex. We'll talk about that in more detail, but he finds out <laughs> about where to go for some more information. Um, he gets told about the Queen's Comb in Floodthorpe. In the morning, you've got Orin tinkering with Aggie, who can now print reports, which I think is amazing. <laughs> Orin also looks at that application, and it is long, man. Yeah. It's 2,000 word essay. It's a dissertation, basically, isn't yeah. it? Mm. <laughs> it's multiple. It's yeah. a multiple, multiple 2,000 word essays on various things, including his greatest magical achievement, which it'll be interesting to know what Orin thinks is his greatest magical achievement, but mm. maybe Aggie. Is it Aggie? Yeah. Yeah, that'll be the obvious. Yeah. So they have a little chat about sort of planning next moves. Gwen fills them in about their family. Enkidu tells the group he's going to go off on his own. And for Enkidu, this kind of feels like personal growth, but he won't <laughs> tell them exactly where he's going or what he's doing. They do trust him but they decide yeah. to send Ruana off with him. Well, I mean, it's not hard to trust somebody when they say that they promise not to get in any trouble or do anything stupid. Yeah, it's, it's all going to be totally yeah. fine. Yeah, I'm taking mm. Ruana just in case. <laughs> there will be no consequences for this course of yeah. action. Yeah. Meanwhile, the rest of the party head off to the noble's nook and they have a very funny interaction with a few coffee-stained information people called Mo and Joe. <laughs> One of my favourite characters out of these three so episodes. Mm. <laughs> Um, they get a map. They know that there are four spoons available. 
Um, and they see that there's a full list of team names and there's about 50 teams, but some of the names have been crossed off. They head off to Newford Park as well. And inside Newford Park is Chargelt Hall, which was Chargelt was one of the names of one of the founding members of the consortium. Mm. That was the individual who was deposed but was then buried in the grounds yeah. of the consortium or something like that anyway. There was some kind of mystery going on there with that individual. This this hall or house is named after them. That's mysterious. Uh, it's magically protected. Uh, can't get anywhere near it. It's something like, unless you have a, a way of disguising yourself or something. Yes. It basically mm-hmm. insinuated that if it can't detect you in any way... That's right. ...that you can get through. Yes. So like mm-hmm. very quickly, they're like, hey, bonbons, great. Yeah. Sweeties, anybody? Um, yeah, Gaius does a perception check as well, and they see that there's a lion statue inside those grounds as well, yeah. which I'm concerned about. Mm. I think perhaps even if they can get past these walls, they're going to have a lion statue that is going to be maybe more adept at knowing about invisible people or, mm-hmm. you know, intruders. Or sniffing them out. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And we know we know what statues can do. We've yeah. been to tomorrow. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I'm concerned. Um, meanwhile... They then sort of head off to Arkenwell for the... They're going to go and do the Mage's Trial first. That comes in the next episode. Uh, Inkidu has found the Queen's Comb. It's a honey factory. He goes in. uh, He's taken into a sort of a plain kind of holding room come office. He's locked in. And then while he's waiting for whoever's going to talk to him, there are vibrations that go through the floor, which paralyse him. He's noticed that all of the furniture is bolted to the floor because that's... You know, that's a bad sign, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the um, the floor suddenly opens. He plummets 100 foot. Um, he it. takes 40, 44 <laughs> points of damage. Oh, Jesus. And he opens his eyes to see Malleus standing over his paralysed body. Oh. Mm-hmm. And while I'm happy to have Malleus back in because of the wonderful description that Robbie Bellicom did for them, yeah. uh, I'm also like, oh, shit. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Not going yeah. well. You're you're still alive. Yeah, with a burnt up face. I gotta say, Inkidu was lucky that we did not, because he was paralyzed, right? Yeah. He was lucky that it was not crit fall damage. Yeah. Uh, that that yes. was what went through my mind as yeah. well when that was happening. I was like, he has no way to stop himself. Yeah. Good. No deck saves or Yeah, anything. exactly. And like, th- theoretically, if I, I guess I have to look at the language of it, but if you take damage that hits you from within five feet, then it counts as a crit while paralyzed. So Ooh. theoretically, it may, it may be that it's specifically from an attack. Okay. Like an attack roll but if it's not <laughs> then this man could have taken 20 d6 <laughs> points of damage how would you rule it if it were in your campaign i think it would depend on what i wanted the result to be yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I, I, don't, I don't know I, I mean he's probably got a lot of health at this point but i'm pretty sure because he does take damage in the next one that he does not have over 80 hit points no. at this point what level so, are they nine eight Eight, I think, yeah. So yeah. if he had taken that for, he would be just straight dead. Yeah. <laughs> or well, at least instant or unconscious. Mm-hmm. When David said he was going to roll ten d six, Daryl did immediately say, "I'll survive." But then I think he said, "Just." Yeah. Yeah. I'm guessing he's like in the fifties or sixties because he's a he's a warlock, so he's got a d eight. Yeah. Uh, and I'm guessing that his his constitution isn't wildly high. I wouldn't have thought so. Um. But yeah, that that did that concerned me. Yeah. Yeah. That ending was a shock, oh wasn't it? It was, yeah. yeah. It was brilliant. I loved it, but it was like, oh no. Yeah. And Kidu, what have you done? <laughs> I mean, it was such a it was such an evolution. I don't really know why he didn't say to them, like, I'm gonna go see the hex. And also why he didn't find the fact that when this criminal contact came back, they said to him something along the lines of like they want to speak to you face to face. Yeah. Why that wasn't like an ominous, like, <laughs> oh shit, um, they've asked to actually see me. I, I'm not, re- it's not really an undercover thing anymore. Like this person had blatantly gone like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. you know, they look like this. And they'd be like, I know that guy. Yeah. yeah bring him to me, please. And- mm-hmm. Yeah. This is uh, this is a lesson that you got to learn from The Wire. If you ever watch The Wire, mm-hmm. it comes up in seasons four and five. If you are planning to have a meeting, a clandestine meeting with some people who might be a threat to your person, Mm -hmm. you need to arrive a couple hours early and just scope out. Like, just get there early, scope out the situation, 
and then come back. Yeah. Do yeah. not just go straight in. Like, come in prepared. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of swanning in there, like, I'm here to see your boss. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Have somebody in place who can help you out, or you've already checked out the scenario. Like, you've snuck in there. You saw the stuff was bolted down. You're like, mm-mm. You, like, cast fly on yourself beforehand, and you're just hovering a little bit or something. You know what I mean? Mm. Something yeah. like that. But but this is one of the things I love most about Enkidu, and I'm, I'm I think I'm going to coin them Enki doofs. Oh, I like it because <laughs> it's a bit like he's very he has the best he has the right intention he <laughs> has a good plan, but it's almost like he hasn't thought out the last little little detail of the plan, like the time that he punched an old woman in the face, it's you know, that or, minus or burnt one down on the library that does it. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, exactly. It's kind of like <laughs> the intention is there, but. You probably need to think through the plan a little bit more, and I, I really hope Daryl doesn't ch- stop playing this this version of Enkidu that he mm-hmm. is prone to just snap decisions or uh, flying by the seat of his pants or whatever, you know, um, because it definitely makes for really interesting Absolutely. podcast entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I feel like every time he does something like this, a party member palms themselves in the face. You know, it's. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it, and th- just the situations that it lands them in. The whole, like, calling, uh, doing an error to check when they were down there with, with Pellegree before and, like, yeah. then immediately a wing throw up turns up. You know, mm-hmm. it's, again, best intentions, but terrible outcome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, they are my new Enkidoofs. Enkidoofs. <laughs> Enkidoofs. That's such a great name. I'm going to pour you some Twain Tide tea, slide you a mug of some Twain hey. Tide tea. It's <laughs> a great, yeah. <laughs> It's a delicious name. Mm. Are there worms in this? Mm, lovely. Yes. Uh, sprinkled them in. Mm. If Vicky was here, she'd be going, you cook worms for people one time. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. Exactly. Now, here's a question. Yeah. Do you think that if they had just gone to Enkidu and not captured him and had just said, hey, let's talk, do, do you think that they mm. still would have had... The, do you think they would have had the outcome they wanted? Or do we think that Enkidu would have immediately leapt to combat? Oh, that's a good question. Ooh. I feel like Enkidu would have been prepared for combat and probably assessing his outcome. Yeah. But I also think he, I mean, he went there to talk mm-hmm. very particularly. I mean, it, it, moving almost into the next episode with this, you know, he does come with a proposition f- even mm-hmm. when he realizes that it's Malleus. So I think he was yeah. originally planning to talk. If he was across the table with a member of the Hex, he probably would have been like, you know, let's put our differences aside because we've got a common enemy now. Yeah. Yeah. And tried to go in it with that. I think, yeah, maybe he was ready for combat if push came to shove. But I don't know whether he'd really thought that far ahead. Yeah. It just felt like the hex went a little hard. It's all I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> like they yes. went a little hard. <laughs> but then he did burn half their face off. So yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. can you blame him? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Maybe maybe it's get his own back. Yeah. Uh, they just wanted to get they just wanted to get some revenge. Just wanted to see it happen. Yeah. Like, oh, look at him fall. Hey. <laughs> Makes like the bomb squeal as he falls through the air. Yeah. I was thinking like, do you remember those like nerf thrower things, you know, with the tail on them and you like Mm -hmm. across the air. I'm I'm imagining that as he's just kinda like torpedoing down. (laughs) I love it. But yeah, this this episode, yeah, was was the the first not not the first one at all, but had a had a really nice twist to it, but otherwise just kind of almost a decision makery episode, I Mm. thought. Yeah. Yeah. In contrast to the previous episode, which was all about like exposition, mm-hmm. this one was a lot less exposition heavy and was more action. And it was yes. like we're beginning a new phase of it, a new set of adventures. And so we're starting a bunch of stuff. And then we end with the first big twist yes. in one of those activities. Yeah. yeah. It was like a, well, there's mm. kind of no way back from what you've now done kind of moment, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're, you're in this now. You yep. play with David and yep. he will, he will burn you. Um, <laughs> Yep. I don't know if this is David's way of being like, this is what happens, Daryl. This is what happens. <laughs> just punishing Daryl. Oh, Yeah. yeah just, but I do kind of, there's a little bit of me that feels like almost this episode summed up part, you know, the, the, the vibe of this campaign, which is almost that Enkidu is playing the dark part of this campaign. He's playing the political strife. He's playing yep. getting somebody on the throne and he's going down these dark ventures. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the party are like, 
oh, spoons and cute fluffy things. And like, this is, uh, let's go have a strawberry daiquiri and stuff. Yeah. Like, they're like, you know, the chaotic good characters. And then you've got this like lawful, like, you know, this is mm-hmm. this is the path that I'm on and I'm going down this path, whereas everybody else is all about the bright, shiny things. And I kind of love that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah this, this episode for me was the epitome of... Uh, what's been happening recently with this show batman the batman of the group just keeps taking beating after beating uh, exactly <laughs> yeah and it continues in this episode for sure i could totally see enkidu as a batman type yes he's halfway there with his suit i mean i think that's like the archetype yeah <laughs> if we if they were each a member of the justice league who would you i, I think it's fair to say enkidu is is batman but who mm-hmm. would we identify like the rest of the group as Ooh, uh orin's i guess alfred because <laughs> uh, he's cool. making all the things he's either alfred or i suppose if we're going justice league he probably reminds me most of uh oh god what's the android cyborg cyborg is it cyborg yeah mm-hmm. there we go um because of all these like trinkets and gears and stuff gaius i guess is more flash okay yeah yeah, yeah i think guy has to be the flash just with his personality and everything I could see him with a crossover with like the Riddler or something because he's always playing. A <laughs> They're all Batman card. characters. Yeah. Who would Gwendolyn be then? Ooh. Is she the Catwoman in this Batman scenario? I guess so. Yeah. If we if we're just going Batman, she might. Although she's got some Wonder Woman qualities to her. Mm-hmm. Hands down, she's very strong. She's very fast. It's all kind of like being physical and dexterous, which is kind of what. One woman goes for yeah. She does kind of have princess vibes as well, like in the in her yeah. backstory yeah. in terms of like I come from this rich background, but I can still throw down. Uh, I think that is kind of Diana vibes, like Wonder Woman. Who would Juna be? I was I've been trying to think through this whole thing. Yeah. Even in Batman, I'm like Ray Al Ghul, <laughs> just because of how old she is. Oh yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, oh, God. Who would she be? Would she be Martian Manhunter? Could be. Because Martian Manhunter has like yeah. s- has like a lot of psychic powers, comes yep. from like a different place than everybody else. Shape-shifting abilities as well, yeah. which Juna has. Yeah, and has is is just generally like, well, I'm here and having a good time. And everybody's yeah. like, oh, you. Yeah, I'd go with that. I feel like, you know what I mean? Yeah. All right. That 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 one works for, for Juna then. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Who else have we got? Either that or like Superman. I don't know. Who's is, is there a Superman in this party? Like well-meaning, uh, bright, like sunny, uh, optimistic, never say die. I mean, if we're going to include the people in Enkidu's head, I guess that goes to Gilgamesh. <laughs> so Batman yeah. has Superman in his head. Yeah. Oh my scenario. god, that is such a dynamic. <laughs> yeah, I like it's a that. Winning combination. Yeah, I really like that. I was thinking maybe Superman would be going back to like Deacon or something like that, you know. Actually, that's good. Mm. I like it. Because they've got to find their fortress of solitude and their, their right. master that's going to teach them how to be Kryptonian. <laughs> <laughs> Who would Dwayne be? I don't Ooh. know. Like in the bat in the in terms of like the bat if we were doing bat family, um, um, I'm trying to think of like a smooth talker type who just shows up and people are like, whoa, and they See leave. That, that could be Riddler. But also for the charismatic effect that they have on people, could be a Joker thing. See, Joker was mm. one that crossed my mind, but I, mm. I just don't think he's that vicious. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm wondering if he's one of the Robins, maybe? Yeah. Yeah. Like Robin, but becomes Nightwing when goes into dragon form. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like the Dick Grayson one, who's just like, hey, I'm here to bring some light and happiness to this. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. The plucky, yeah. And then he, and then he's like, I ha- but there's another side to me. Yeah. It also has some dark stuff going on, which we learned from your, uh, your solo venture. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Fun times. Well, there we go. We've cast everyone uh, in the next Batman film. Excellent. Uh, sorry, Robert Pattinson, you're moving aside for Daryl. Uh, <laughs> I love the idea of Daryl in the Batman too. And there's no explanation. I love to see him uh, for why there's a completely different Bruce Wayne. I feel like next picnic for photos that we have, we know the costumes that we're going to be busting out now. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, should, yeah. Should, do we have more to say about episode sixty-two, or should we jump on to episode sixty-three? I think crack on, Sam. Shall I go on with 62? Because it does kind of blend with, uh, sorry, 63, because it does kind of blend with what we've been talking about. You know, we've been kind of touching on them, so we'll, we'll cover them in 63, uh, which was uh, Trials and Tribulations. Yeah. Uh, so when the party get to Arkham, well, 
they head to the uh, the training chamber, which I think is what's written over this hall, uh, and they get to meet some of the other spoon challengers. Uh, and <laughs> a bit like in the last episode with Mo and Joe, I'm kind of loving that all the NPCs that David's bringing at the moment have this like really rich tapestry you know this backstory behind them yeah and like mm-hmm. see, seeing some of these things come out like there was uh uh they met the plucky plucky poppycocks uh was the team name uh there was a rat juggler named goblinski uh with their rats misha ivan and vovo these are all patreon um, things there's another person that demands that people raise their hands before they speak uh you've got a very incorrect grammar nazi uh, you've mm-hmm. got Sheila, the toast chef, who freezes whenever she has to cook. Yep. Uh, Mersham Halsey, who's a half-orc. And all you know about them is they've got a missing falcon named Richard uh, that they're looking for. Um, I hope that's a side quest somewhere. Um, but we after, do learn a little spoons, bit. We go find yeah, Richard. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Richard will be hanging out with Russell somewhere, and that'll lead them into getting their old stuff back as well. Yeah. Richard, Russell, and Ruana. There you go. Yeah, there's going oh to be a Russ and Dick miniseries. Yes. The new version of the three R's. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's fantastic. Um, but they do learn actually some information from them, like a, a, a couple of things potentially about the duck hunt. There's this lady Quackington the uh, third that they don't know whether it's a real thing um, yet. Uh, but they do learn as well that while this team have five spoons in their pockets already, uh, there was another team that has seven. <gasps> uh, so they're well on their way to to completing the tournament if they are still in it. Yeah. Uh, but the spoon challenge itself. Um, they meet uh, an arcanist named Bellow Cupdown. And, well, one thing that I should say about this challenge that I really liked about the Spoon Challenge is that there was another kind of aspect to it, that if they complete this challenge, that it goes down well with the arcanist. So, obviously, Orin, mm. very, very interested in this because now that he's looked at the forms and everything, this could be, uh, like, a little route into becoming an arcanist himself. Yep. And they... They take part in these kind of simple but elegant in their own right challenges. Yeah. Uh, don't know about you guys, but the first room that I was thinking darkness, which they came up with later. Like yeah. if you cast darkness on the room, it would reveal. But effectively, they walk into this room, the lights are off and they can see a door. As soon as they take a step forward, the lights come on and the door disappears. And they tried all these different things, all these different tactics, uh, thinking either inside the box or outside the box. Very clever ideas. But I honestly was stumped and yeah, I got to like same. round six or seven and I was feeling really stressed I could hear David had put like a in the music there was like the ticking of a clock constantly right, moving man. in the it's background right. that just kind of like it's like that video game music yeah it gave you this like tension through it it's like are they are they literally gonna fold at the first room and there's a genius casting of Charm Person by Gaius yes. because he realizes that he's able to do it on the Arcanist themselves. He's very up for it so long as they can, uh, you know, make the spell work. Um, and they find out that the, the the room is as simple as doing absolutely nothing. Yeah. Uh, going by the door, standing by it, and then the door would appear. Um, but they also do manage to get some information about the next rooms, which make them a lot easier. Mm. Big wall of fire. They realize they can walk across it and Guy can teleport after. Job done. They find out about the third room. There's a pedestal in the middle. It's for storing energy. They mm-hmm. know that because of the Arcanists. So they just go ahead and start launching their big spells. So aside from the first room, which probably took them up to that minute mark, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the other two rooms they pass with flying colors. And they get a clue. They get another clue for the duck hunt um, that is to start at City Hall, um, mm-hmm. which I guess they'll come to once they've dealt with the Enkidu situation. And then after making us wait for half an episode to find out what happened to him, really cruel of David, uh, we find out what's happened with the latest Enkidoof. Uh, so paralyzed Enkidu basically gets beaten bloody by Malleus and dragged uh, through several rooms, uh, some of them concrete, some of them carpeted, oh. on his face uh, oh. to be strung up by his feet with manacles. And we learn that Malleus basically... So Malleus is wants to kill Enkidu, but realizes that the party as a whole are a greater concern and basically gives them an ultimatum that mm-hmm. they finish up their fucking spoon challenges <laughs> and get out of the city as basically by noon the next day, he expresses that he has no desire whatsoever to ally with the Abracatwats uh, and rescue uh, Pellegree or Rings uh, and then is effectively dumped down this sewer. Which kind of made me think they have a big rat run of connection below this city. It's mm. not just one premise. They've got they've got a little hive mm-hmm. going on down here. But yeah, and then we get to Enkidu number two, 
uh, which is that he uh, decides to do an inside check to try and help him. He's hoping for light and yeah. a bit of healing energy, and instead he gets Alcibiades. Yeah. Uh, and the moment that we've been really dreading, the kind of the fear that we had that Enkidu is basically a meat puppet. Uh, comes true and Alcibiades like look this is the one thing I can do and basically assumes complete control of Enkidu's body mm. however this does mean that we get to see what's actually going on inside Enkidu's head we yes, see this kind of um, made me think of uh, like the last Harry Potter where he goes to this almost like purgatory state yeah. and meets with uh, spoilers uh, <laughs> meets with Dumbledore and they have a conversation there mm. within this weird space it mm. had that like misty you can't quite see what's going on but you know who these people are and he's yeah he's sat in a kind of loose circle of chairs with the other patrons in his head Mm -hmm. and he's able to have a conversation with them yeah and he might continue having conversations with him far into the next episode yeah because we don't know how long this is going to last but effectively the episode ends up with uh the rest of the party meeting up with uh, the Alcibiades puppeted Enkidu basically being like, fucking heal me now. Um, Looking oh horrible. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> God, what um, what an episode. <laughs> yeah. I think the one, the one redeeming thing for the party is that at least they're aware of it this time round. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Juna nearly came a cropper the first time this happened, but at least they've got sort of one step ahead that they know what he's capable of. And he is in mm. this severely weakened state at the moment as well. Yeah. So I'm I'm cautiously hopeful. I just worry that the party have been struggling to trust Enkidu recently. They trusted him with this, but now yeah. they've seen that it is possible for somebody to puppet him for a, a period of time. Yeah. Like it's not mm-hmm. just a couple of seconds like it was before for an attack. They can take control, you know, when he's yeah. unable to to resume control of his body. So I don't know that this is going to do them any favours in getting that trust of Enkidu back. It seems like as well that every time he does an inside check, it seems that whoever he talks to, the interactions seem to be getting stronger and stronger. I'm wondering if David is keeping track on how many interactions he's having, either just as a whole, and the more that he sort of checks in, the, the, the kind of greater control collectively the others inside his head get. Or whether yeah. he's keeping track of how many interactions with individuals, because he has seemed to talk to Alcibiades a lot more than some of the others. Mm. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I, th- I think in this one, Alcibiades physically puts his f- like yeah. rests his foot on top of Enkidu's chest. Yeah, mm-hmm. so he is physically his material. Income. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and then also able to take over. I have a crackpot theory, um, and maybe this has been debunked already, but. And it probably actually has already been brought up in a past uh, superfan chat. Are we sure that Enkidu is the original owner of this body? I'm not sure at all. I think it has been put forward. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because what if it's a situation but, where, uh, as like each person, each persona could assume control of the body mm-hmm. for a certain amount of time, and then over time the the other ones grow stronger or their grip on the body grows weaker, and so they have to take turns. Mm-hmm. I like and it. And maybe Enkidu has been in control for so long that like it's about time for Alcibiades to just step in and he's like, yeah. nah, it's me now. Yeah. Cause we there there's so there there's still quite a lot of years that are unaccounted for. And they do say in this, when he's around these chairs, that none of them were commandeering yeah. the Enkidu vessel. He's missing for all of them. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So are even any of the six of them the real Enkidu. There are there are questions like Enkidu should be able to recognize his own reflection, right? But mm-hmm. maybe if that's what you're looking for, that's what you see. However, the only person that I think it's not really possible is the owner of the body at this point would be um would be the king. Sorry, his name is completely Gilgamesh. Mind for a moment. Gilgamesh, thank you. Um because of their uh likeness to Time and Prevos being, you know, hinted at so strongly. Yeah. But there's there's nothing to say that it it couldn't be one of the others. Like this could be Alcibiades' body, yeah, mm-hmm. and that's why he's able to take such strong connection with mm-hmm. him. Yeah, that it hasn't really been unpacked yet. But it is there are little hints that just yeah they just make me think that 
maybe none of them are the original owner yeah. of this body. Ooh. Oh man. Yeah. Part of me really hopes that they they're the I think I said it last time, but part of me really hopes that after this, uh they're like, okay, look, we did the we've helped out the Arcanist consortium where we we're trying to get to the bottom of this. Mm-hmm. But in Kidu. Yeah. <laughs> Buddy. Priorities. We're gonna we're going to get to the bottom of what yeah. is going on with you. <laughs> I mean, I wonder whether we're gonna end up with struggling to get Alcibiades in the back of the mind and get Enkidu out yeah. again. We're mm-hmm. gonna have to leave the city at noon the next day, and then our next sort of port of call is to go and find that demonologist. Because it's on the map anyway. And maybe come yeah. back to the city another time. Yeah. Hundred percent. I think it is much more of a pressing concern. Uh, well, depend- depending on what Alcibiades does with his time now, mm-hmm. because I'm assuming he would have just gone straight there. Like it, he had a pint in front of him. Yep. I don't think there was really that much time would have passed you no. know, before before they got back to him that he could, I don't know, have done some underhanded scheme to yeah. put himself in power. But yeah, I, I'm the same as you. I wonder how long he's going to assume power of the body yep. and whether it is in fact Enkidu's choice to return or whether yeah. Alcibiades has to relinquish mm-hmm. control. Because mm. he was able to take it off of Enkidu because of Enkidu being so weak. Yes. Um, but if he's healed, is it Alcibiades that's being healed, or is it Enkidu? And mm-hmm. would Enkidu... Yeah, these are all questions that I'm really excited to, to mm-hmm. hear the answer of when, when episode 64 comes out. Yep. Yeah. And does Alcibiades have the same connection to Erida? Or can he... Is, yeah. is Erida Ooh. specifically connected to the Enkidu persona? Yeah. So if it's like if we push Enkidu to the side and Alcibiades assumes control... Does he still have to answer to Erida, or is he just in like a synthetic mm. body? That's another thing. Oh, we have damn. not really analyzed this body in great detail. Uh, yeah. Part of me wishes also that we could have like a surgery episode where they go to, they're like, look, we're getting <laughs> to the bottom of this. We're going to hire a doctor. You're going to put you under. Uh, we're going to do some surgery while we also play through your mind uh, and figure out what is going on. Mm. Uh, that could be just a really, really fun episode. <laughs> yeah. I'd love it if it's that kind of demonologist as well, that it's like more of a science than uh like ritual casting and yeah. you know summoning mm-hmm. demons and stuff it's literally like okay and i make a small incision here and there's demon number one yeah uh, like lifting them out <laughs> or what if what if they were to ask um the arcanists for help not uh access mm. a wingthrup but mm. since we since it was the wingthrups that did at least some of this to enkidu would it be a bad idea to ask like zaravir Tarek? Uh, and uh, and um, Eovet to find like hook him up with some really skilled surgeon type, and they yeah. all together just work through like we just have like a whole arc where they're like going through Enkidu's memories and like yeah. each of the party are like experiencing oh, it. Oh my god, that how cool! So that would make such good bonus content. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like because you could literally you could carry on with the main campaign and then just be like, oh yeah, this happened. Oh no, the characters have no memory of it because they're in a memory. Or mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. that would be really cool. Oh, I, I did have a thing actually on the mm-hmm. subject of the spoons. Uh, I really like how uh, if if you play the Pokemon games, I think they tend that you will you will run into like characters even in the show that are like super big larger than life like whenever you reach meet like the other trainers or the other yeah. teams it's always like oh who are these people you know because they're you know rat catcher joey is like one of the most famous ones uh where he like comes in he's like my rattata is in the top one percent of all rattatas uh yeah. <laughs> and that really felt like when we met all these other <laughs> contestants yeah, I mean, one of them was literally juggling rats, yeah. uh, which I did vote on, I think. I voted on the, the rat yeah. juggling. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, again, I just oh, just love the, the all these little NPCs that will probably never turn up again. Yeah. Um, but they have such kind of colour to them that you, you, you kind of want to hear how they're getting on. I know. And they're clearly not that bright <laughs> because they got... They at least got to the, the, the wall one. of fire room because mm-hmm. they were singed, and like quite a lot of people did. So they did the hard part. Yeah. But maybe it's that they didn't save any of their like bigger magic for the end. But that's what I think exactly like the majority of teams would have done, would have just burnt all their magic in the first room, run out, stood there and gone, oh, shit, what do we do now? And then the door mm. magically opens because they've got nothing left. Mm-hmm. And then the second room, yeah. oh, no, I don't know what to do now because we've got nothing left to do. Even if you get through that second room, you've got no magic left for the third room. Yeah. It's yeah. brilliant. It's brilliant order. Yeah. If they'd done what, what I thought they had to do and cast darkness in the first room, that's already a third level spell that they've burnt. Mm. Second level. Is it second level darkness? Yeah. Oh, okay. See, this is why we need Jeremy. Yeah. <laughs> there I was making assumptions, <laughs> pretending I know D&D. I just nod and say yes. I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
But I agree. I think that was a very smart order uh, yeah. to put the rooms in. Yeah, for sure. Mm. And I enjoyed that challenge as a whole. I thought it was a lot of fun. It was, it again provided a fun contrast, as you were saying, Sam, between like the light, fun, happy side of the group and like, yeah, we're going to go figure out, like, uh, we're going to go uh, go on some adventures and get and like face challenges and puzzles. Uh, and then Enkidu's being dragged around by his face, thrown into sewers, threatened. Yeah. <laughs> What's the, it's the music change as well. There's a complete vibe change, you know, when, mm-hmm. when David's like, and right now, back to what Enkidu's doing. Yeah. Because, yeah. Yeah, it has become the darker side of the campaign, and I kind of, I kind of love it. I don't want it for the for the sake of the party. I would love it to to change that they're all on board and doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. But for the sake of the podcast, for <laughs> the amount of information we've been able to get over, say the last six episodes, mm-hmm. has actually been monstrous. They've yeah. learned more in this time about the state of the world and the powers that are conflicting with each other and what they're all aiming for. They've learned yeah. more about that in the last few episodes than they did in the entire campaign before that. You know, they were just kind of like going, you know, going wherever things took them or running away from them. Mm -hmm. Whereas now they're finally starting, like all these different points are are slotting into place. Yeah. Uh, So it's almost leaning more now towards an Enkidu style campaign. Mm -hmm. But the rest of the characters are much more interested in in the lighter stuff, the bathos of the episode. And I think you need both. I think you need both. You need Mm. the spoons and you also need the the hex and the children of havoc and all of that to to keep mm-hmm. it like to make basically make it this wonderful three-dimensional uh yeah realistic world that they're living in yeah it's a beautiful multifaceted story all sorts of tones and subject matters and and almost genres yeah like, I mean, we go from like political intrigue uh to pokemon it's great yeah and I'm kind of wondering what they're going to uncover while they're in the city. Like, you know, th- there's probably things that we haven't even considered that David's going to be like, oh, now's the chance to put this in. And it makes me wonder how much David has had planned and, you know, had little bits of information in the background that the group just haven't uncovered because they've been distracted by one of two different journeys. Uh, it, it, it seems like a huge city <laughs> that they're in. <laughs> there's going to be so much information. So, yeah, yeah. The, the next few episodes, I think, are going to be really really interesting i'm very much looking forward to the uh the jailbreak mm-hmm. uh, in petrogranis's yes. estates yeah mm-hmm. and also and like just, you say oh go ahead sorry uh, sorry I, I was just saying like you were saying before i do hope that they do try and maybe talk to zero Tarek and uh clay Nievet about enkidu because they'll know about the patrons in his head because Ievet yeah. was, was detecting his thoughts mm-hmm. when he was thinking about that stuff so it's a conversation you can broach at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I was just going to say um, that this uh, this episode, episode 63, also made the Hex seem much scarier to me. Yeah. The idea that they are this connected, it, it's like the end of, uh, spoiler alert, uh, I think it's John Wick 2. Can't, I think mm-hmm. it's John Wick 2, where there's the part where a character uh, like gives a signal and everybody in an entire square just stops moving. Where yeah. it's like, uh, okay. <laughs> like, you had they no this idea. much power. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And now it's like, oh, yeah, you thought we were just, like, these little side villains that you were encountering. Oh, no, 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 no. We have eyes and ears everywhere over the city, and we will mess you up if you do not leave. They knew exactly what they were doing. They even knew their cover name. Like, they, they knew the whole... They were able to already have made up the Africa twat thing. Like, you know, they... <laughs> yeah. They know what they're about. Is there a mole? Do we think there's a mole in the party? Could be. Could be. I'm guessing it's not in Kido at this point. Not consciously, anyway. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's Erida. Maybe Erida's like, maybe Erida's in with the hex and she's feeding. Maybe. Or they hacked maybe there's Erida. a rogue wing thrup in the hex. Yeah. Guys, guys, I'm worried. Aggie can now relay information. Yes, yeah, she can. What True. if it's Aggie? What if she's what just if gone Gaius? there and like printed everything? Out? Oh my God. Because Gaius <gasps> has hex connections. <gasps> he does. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, I never trusted him. <gasps> He's a bad guy. <laughs> Should we sum up with some favorite moments? Mm. Uh, come to me last. Okay. Come to me last. <laughs> I'm going to say the re- the revelation of Clayne Eovet uh, in episode 61 was probably Ooh, one. one of my favorite moments mm-hmm. from this trilogy. Just the fact that he was had been there the whole time. I love that kind of a move. Like I was saying, it, it makes the Arcanist's consortium just seem that much more like, ooh. 
you mm-hmm. thought, but no. Yeah. Uh, and that whole conversation with the two, with the two of them, the contrast in their personalities, and then the two of them being like, oh well, it appears uh, that some some candy has gone gone missing. Oh, that was so good. Yeah, that was. I loved that whole sequence. Good choice. Good choice. I'm gonna pick in episode sixty two. They when they went to Newford Park. There was a nice little cheeky nod to our first anniversary meetup that we had in Chiswick Park. Mm. Uh, ben yeah. mentioned a little nod to that, and that was really nice. So that's my favourite little moment. Cute. Um, and I hope we do one again sometime. Yeah. I hope so as well, yeah. Get it booked in. Hopefully summer, though. I don't think it's very nice to hang out in parks at this, this time of year. <laughs> nice little December park hangout. Yeah. Um, I think for me, uh, my favourite moment just purely because of the role play element of it uh, was using the Vodastone uh, to it. contact Gwendolyn contacting her family because I thought um, not not just David doing a cracking job with the two different family members because uh, they were they were both so rich the dad was wonderful but then the bickering contest that that yeah. Prim and Gwen had um, kudos to, to Grace and to David for just making that so real mm-hmm. uh, and believable and kind of resolving in this this lovely moment with them all together. Yeah. yeah. Good choices, guys. Yeah. Uh, so does that just about wrap it up for this edition of the so. Superfan Chats? Oh, well, yeah. uh, let me come around and collect everyone's uh, tea cups. Uh, please join us again uh, next time for more Superfan Chats. We'll have more Twain Tide tea ready for you and more pews ready for you to sit on and enjoy your brews. <laughs> Jeremy, this is your job every time now. New tagline. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do we do, I forget, do we do plugs on this show? I always forget. You can, yeah, please plug. I think you should. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm a super fan, but I'm also on a podcast of my own. It's called Three Black Halflings. Go check it out. Uh, you've probably heard about it on the show before. Uh, it's a, it's fun. It's You can find it wherever pods are cast. And you can find me on Twitter at JeremyCobb1, Cobb with two Bs, number one. Uh, anybody else have anything they'd like to plug right now? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, if you are a school kid studying your GCSEs, yeah. then I might see you in your school as uh, Ebenezer Scrooge, because I think I'm I'm doing the same as uh, Ben, and I'm playing the, the grumpy old guy from A Christmas Carol. Uh, so if you are... If you are young enough to be in a school, or if you're a teacher, check it out. I'm working with Quantum Theatre and we might be coming your way. That's the only plug I've got for me. But I'm also going to plug Three Black Halflings because it's brilliant. Yeah, oh, really thank do you. go listen to it. Uh, uh, can't get enough of it, mate. We will gratefully accept that plug. I would say I have nothing to plug on my own, but I will plug the Patreon for No Small Roles. If you're not a Patreon, Yay. Yay. become a Patreon. It is well worth it. I mean, my favourite thing that have been happening at the moment or in, in recent events have been the polls. I like the fact that we, we see these characters and these choices that we click mm-hmm. on, not even really thinking through the consequences of what we might be clicking on and have them pop up, you know, a couple of months later. That's a lot of fun. You also get music from David. We get early access we get. Oh yeah. Um, have you been? Um, have you been listening to the Ramblers Rest? Yes. Yes. Oh my god, I'm really mm. enjoying They're it. Great. It's really nice. They're really it's, great. It's basically yeah. yeah. Daryl as your pub landlord, like chatting with uh, some cast members. Uh, just did one with Sophia Murphy as yep. well, mm-hmm. and they basically talk about common interests like games and TV series, and like you know, there's this great one with Chris to begin with, where they're talking about the Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power, yeah, Amazon series, uh, Rings of Power. Uh, which is really interesting listening to it now because they're talking about what they're expecting it to be. And I listened to it after I'd finished the series. Mm-hmm. And it's it's kind of scary, actually, how many things they get right um, and how they're talking about things that crop up through the series. So, yeah, well done to them. They clearly had some kind of like Palantir or Erida device to see the future. <laughs> uh, I am also in one of those, but I don't know if it's been released yet. I think it's coming soon. It may be out by the time this comes out. You never know. <gasps> yeah, but I did one with Daryl. It was a lot of fun. It was great. Um, otherwise, come find us on the Discord, guys. Yep. Yeah. Because uh, we're all on there. We're chatting. And the groups get bigger every day. Yay. Yay. Cool. Thank you, guys. Oh, I- wait. Should we have a sign-off? Yeah. What should it be? I mean, do we want to do a non for now, or do we want to do uh, pews and brews? <laughs> <gasps> pews and brews. Uh, I think I like a non for now. Yeah. Yeah, it's got to be. Yeah. Count us in then, Jeremy. All right. Three, two, one. A non for now. It's always better when we count down.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.